are listening to audio from Emmanuel Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more resources like this one, go to EmmanuelBirmingham.com. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had come out of him in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. He continues in verse 38. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on, him, on them, and every one of them he healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew that he was the Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray, and then Dustin will will receive you after that. Father, we come to you this morning, Lord, eager to sit under your word, eager to hear from you, needing to hear from you. Father, I ask, Lord, that you would just give my brothers and sisters, Lord, just the, the gift of focus, Lord, the gift of humility, Father, that we would sit under these words as the very words of God. Lord, that we would listen and contemplate. Lord, that your spirit would apply them to our hearts. Father, I pray for each and every person in this room, Lord, that this morning would be um, a means of of edification in their life. Lord, that they'd be built up in their faith. That they'd be encouraged by hearing truth sung on the lips of their brothers and sisters in Christ this morning. Lord, I pray specifically for Dustin as he preaches for us this morning. I pray that uh, he'd preach with power and conviction, and Lord, that you would um, steady him as he comes, and Lord, that we would just hear him eagerly and attentively, Father, just asking you to speak to all of us. We want to lift Jesus high in this place. We want to hear from you now. Lord, we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Good morning. Thank you. Yes, I love feedback. So as I'm talking and something resonates with you, feel free to encourage me with an amen or that's right or stop. Uh, That's wrong. But I'm so glad to be here with you all this morning. I am grateful for Emmanuel Church. I've been in Iron City since its inception. I was a a member there while I was finishing up at Beeson and then I have been on staff there for about five years. And we've been praying for you all as a church since the beginning. As a pastor in Birmingham, it's great. I'm grateful to know that there are other faithful, Christ-centered, Bible-believing, gospel-preaching churches here in the city, especially ones like Emmanuel. I think with a like-minded vision to see 
that the city of Birmingham more and more reflect the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And so I'm so glad to be here. I hope you're encouraged this morning. But before I dive into this text, I hope every preacher that's come here that's from another church has done the same thing. But I want you to just take a minute and hear this. If you haven't recently encouraged the elders and the staff members of Emmanuel Church, do that today. It is is the greatest joy, uh, other than being a husband and a father of my life, to pastor. But it's also one of the hardest things that I do. And especially in a season of transition like the one you're in here now, the the elders and staff members are are laying down their lives to care for you as a church body. I know that you know that, but don't take that for granted. I won't ask them to stand up and you applaud them right now because I probably, they won't appreciate that. But send them a text message. Stop them as you leave. Call them up this week. Shoot them an email. Take a minute to encourage them and to thank them because I know they're doing an incredibly faithful job as they've been laboring to call a new pastor and to present someone for you. And so I'm excited about the days ahead here at Emmanuel. I'm glad to be here with y'all today. So the text that we read, you may be thinking, man, this guy came in and he's talking about demon possession, healing. Uh, What is he doing? Well, well, the the purpose of our text today uh, is to talk about the power of Jesus to heal. Jesus is the great physician. Jesus is the healer. And so I want us to to look at these texts that are pretty challenging, but I think really helpful. I want us to wrestle with the question of, do we really believe that Jesus heals? How does that shape our life? And how do we read these texts appropriately in light of the whole counsel of Scripture? So I think that the first thing we have to do is, is stop and look at the whole story of the Scriptures. I love to tell people this. I believe that the Bible is the greatest and the truest story ever told. It's not just a book of to-dos. It's not just a book of wisdom or truth. It's those things. But God is speaking to us through his word, and he's telling us a particular and intentional story. And it's also the truest kind of story. But I think the question we should ask ourselves, and what I often get wrong, maybe you do sometimes as well, is what kind of story is it? I love good fiction. I'm a big Marvel fan. I'm a big Lord of the Rings fan, Harry Potter fan, Chronicles of Narnia fan. Whatever kind of series there is, I love getting caught up in a fantastical world. And I often think the scripture is one of those kind of stories. One of two epic battles. Good versus evil. Wrong versus right. I love those kind of things. This kind of dualism, the question of who's going to win. Will good triumph over evil? I mean, what makes the Lord of the Rings so good is the the craziness of a little hobbit and a band of misfits that don't like each other, really, defeating the great Sauron who can't die. Or a little boy defeating an evil wizard with unfathomable power. But the Bible tells a different kind of story. The story of the scriptures is not one of good versus evil. It's not some cosmic battle of dualism. It's not a competition. But the story of the scriptures is one of redemptive love. If we put God up against the devil, there's no competition. There's no battle. There's one of unwavering power and dominance over the other. But the story of the scriptures is of a people who have rebelled against a good and loving and kind God. 
The story of the scriptures is one of the people who have no hope because they fail over and over again. And the story of the scriptures is a God whose love is so pursuant that he enters back into the story on the other side, the side of his people through the person of Jesus. And so God the Father on one side and God the Son on the other, making good on the covenant, the promise of God to redeem his people. The story of the Bible is one of love, not cosmic battle. Now, the Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter, that more appropriately actually is a picture of our battle, our personal war with sin, with darkness. We are unable to defeat it without the power of Jesus helping us. And so uh, the, the story of the scriptures helps inform the story that we're looking at today. See, the people have lived in great darkness. We just finished up Advent and Christmas. They failed over and over and over again. They're in exile, they're in ruin, and they've not heard a word for 400 years. And then they hear about this Messiah that's birthed, but then 33 years passes, right? We don't know a lot about the first part of Jesus' life. And then Jesus comes into the scene, and right earlier in the narrative of Luke, Jesus shows up in Nazareth. And, and I want us to, if you have your Bibles, you can look back at the earlier part of Luke. It says, he, Jesus walks into a synagogue. People have heard about this man, heard about his teaching, heard about his power. And he goes in, this is the first recorded teaching. He goes in, he opens the Bible and says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has appointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he says, this word is fulfilled in your presence. He says, I am the man. I am the redeemer. I'm the one that you've been longing for for hundreds and hundreds of years. That's a bold, crazy claim. And so what Jesus knows is that that kind of claim should be backed up with that kind of power. And so what we see here is that he, he, he moves on to a, a different place. He is now in Capernaum, and he enters into another temple, and he's doing the same thing. He's teaching. If you look at me with verse 31, he's teaching, and he says, He went down to Capernaum at the city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And I think we can presume that he's teaching this same kind of thing. He's proclaiming that the kingdom of God is at hand. If you look at the gospel, that phrase happens over and over again. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. So that's the kind of teaching that he is doing on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching for his word possessed authority. So he's in the temple. I think it's good for us to get into the story at times, to use some redemptive imagination. All right. And so I want you all to think about this. You're in the synagogue. You're a faithful Jew. And you hear this man stamp, he reads this thing, and in the middle of that, all of a sudden, someone pops up, demon-possessed, yelling and shouting. That's, that's the story here. So he's teaching with authority in the synagogue. In the midst of that, a man who had an unclean spirit, I'm in verse 33, cries out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Nazareth. Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So Luke is zooming in here. He's zooming in to a particular picture 
of an exorcism, a particular picture where Jesus shows his power over the forces of darkness. He's in the temple. He's preaching. This man stands up, and Jesus' response is, be silent and come out. Be silent and come out. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And the demon doesn't speak again. This was radical for these people. We can, we can read the Bible sometimes and we just get used to it. We get numb. We're like, oh, that's what Jesus does. He heals people and casts out demons, right? That's not what anyone else had done. That wasn't normative. So he comes in and he casts out this demon. He commands him to leave. He shows and demonstrates his power. So what I want us to see here as we look at this text is that Jesus' healing, both spiritual, we see spiritual healing here, and in a minute we're going to look at physical healing. Jesus' healing demonstrates his power and gives us a preview of his kingdom. So power and preview. Power and preview is what we're going to see here throughout this narrative, is that Jesus is demonstrating his power to make good on his preposterous claims. He's demonstrating his power, and he's giving us a preview of this kingdom that he's preaching, this kingdom that is to come, a kingdom where the forces of darkness will have no power, where they are underneath the authority of Jesus. And here's why I love, if you look at the people's response, the people's response is actually different than what I think mine would be. So Jesus rebukes him, and in verse 36, they were all amazed and said to one another, what is this word? Everyone say, what is this word? Oh, y'all are doing a great job. Thank y'all. For with authority and power, he commands unclean spirits, and they come out. In a minute, we're going to wrestle with the reality that Jesus sets people free from evil oppression. And we're going to wrestle with the reality that Jesus still heals people today. But what I want us to see is that what is central here is the word of the Lord. Healing affirms the power and truthfulness of Jesus' word, of his promises, of his ability to fulfill all that he has made, made claims to. And so that's what's happening here in the temple is that people's response to this miracle is that they begin to believe that maybe this word of truth is real. Maybe this is the guy who can come and deliver us. Maybe this is the one who will bring shalom. Maybe this is the one who will bring peace. Maybe this is the one who will wipe away every tear as we just read. Jesus is declaring and demonstrating his sheer and total power over the forces of darkness. Before we step into the implications of that, I want to pause. I want to take a little bit of a spiritual side road. We can't read a text like this without wrestling with its difficult parts. I want to ask us, Are we aware of this? The spiritual forces of darkness. I don't know y'all well as a body, but I think that y'all are a lot like Iron City. You love the word of the Lord. You love the Reformation and the fathers of the faith. There's a lot of educated people in this room. Thoughtful people. Modern people. I love to think and read and have answers because it gives me control. And it's helpful. It's good to study. It's good to read. It's good to know doctrine. It's good to know theology. 
But what I want to ask us today is how often do we wrestle with the mysterious parts of the scriptures? Ephesians says this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. We wrestle against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. I think sometimes it's tempting for us to read the Bible and think, well, yeah, I do believe that Jesus rose from the grave. I do believe in the resurrection. And that's kind of, that's kind of it. We just kind of move through the rest of life thinking about the good teaching and the good morality that scriptures give us. We pray. We read the Bible. We just kind of move along. But there is a spiritual reality that is very prevalent all around us if we really believe what the scriptures teach us. That's scary, it's weird, it's disorienting, it's not normative. But I want to take a few minutes to give us a few pointers on how do we engage this faithfully and biblically. Because I think probably most of us in this room are not engaging, enough, engaging with this enough. And maybe some of you in this room are engaging with this way too much. You're consumed with fear. You're always wondering what's happening around you. Every time something bad happens, it's something outside of you. It's, it's a spiritual force of evil around you. So how do we biblically engage with this text? The first thing that we need to hold on to and cling to is this. Jesus is king. The hope of this story, the, the, the Jewish people didn't question whether there's a spiritual reality around them. What they questioned was, who has the ultimate power? And what Jesus is making very clear here and ultimately through his death and resurrection is that he is king. James 5, no, not James 5, Galatians tells us. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. Jesus Christ has delivered us from this present evil age. The enemy still reigns and rules in the lives of those who are not repenting and believing in Jesus Christ. And he's at work all around us. But Jesus is king for those of us who are trusting him. We have no need to fear, and there is no cosmic battle left. The devil has been defeated. The question is more about when will Jesus come and finish things? When will he return? The second one is I want to take a step to, to talk about evangelism. I believe that having a biblical view of the spiritual forces of evil around us gives us opportunities for faithful evangelism. See, the world around us is becoming more and more postmodern, or whatever term we want to use. They are aware, they cannot be deceived any longer that there is a spiritual reality all around us. They know in their bones that just kind of a physical explanation of the world is inadequate and insufficient to explain our human experience. And so more and more people are engaging in the spiritual world around them. But they're not doing it through the scriptures. They're not doing it through the person of Jesus Christ. So we should take seriously and we should point people to Jesus next time our friend that's not a believer, or maybe who professes to be a believer, talks about going at their palm red or going to the hip tear cart store down the road. The next time your friend talks about astrology and the phases of the moon and how they're affecting their aura. The next time someone talks about a ghost or haunting, Halloween's a great time for evangelism. 
I, I was visiting with a woman in a store the other day, and she talked about how she had encountered the ghost of her mother and how she had this interaction, and it was powerful and moving for her. And I think 10 years ago, I, I would have thought, wow, this woman's just really dealing with grief. And maybe that's the case. But I, I'm more persuaded to think that there is some kind of encounter that she's had, but it was, was not her mother in any kind of way. The enemy may not want to bring us to great darkness, but he wants to distract us with all kinds of things. And so we should be able to speak into these moments and say, yes, there is a spiritual world around us, and I know the king. I know the ruler. I know the the one who makes sense of it all. If you want something to resonate with that part of you that is spiritual, that's longing for interaction, then look to Jesus. That's the invitation that we have here. Thirdly, we are full of the Holy Spirit. We should not spend too much time worrying about what kind of spiritual attack is upon us or if we're possessed or if evil kind of things are having dominance over us because if we are in Jesus, we are full of the Holy Spirit and he is Lord over those things. We cannot be duly possessed. We are full of the Spirit and that gives us great power to fight, to pray for, to intercede for. The power of Christ dwells within us. We see the apostles go out and do the same kind of work that Jesus does. And very clearly and quickly, I'm not encouraging some kind of stuff that we see in the movies where people have these rites and rituals and they think they give some kind of unique power. No, we should be quick to pray, and that is it. We should trust in the power of prayer to invoke the name of Jesus and ask God for healing. But lastly, I want us to go back to this text from Ephesians. We don't fight against flesh and blood. You probably know people that are under spiritual attack. And I, I don't want to say more than Scripture say. We should not say more than the Scripture say. And I don't understand a lot how possession works and attack works and a lot of these things. And I think that's intentional. All that we're called to do is to pray and intercede for one another. But we should be doing that. If you have a friend who seems to be in a really dark place, pray for them. Ask the Lord to protect them, to keep them, to deliver them. But also, the enemy is out to attack us to steal, to kill, and destroy us. If you feel unusually tempted, if you feel unusually attacked, if it just feels like darkness is all around you, don't take the time to discern, okay, well, is this just some kind of mental unsteadiness? Am I just really exhausted? Evaluate those things. Maybe you need to sleep more. Maybe you need to be in the Word more, but also ask for prayer. Know that the enemy does wish to destroy you. And there is great power in our prayers. I think this also helps us to realize that our enemy is not one another. Our enemy is not one another. When people are deceived, when people are living in sin, they're puppets in the hands of our enemy. We should be quick to forgive. We should extend mercy. And we should be quick to pray. But ultimately, like I I mentioned earlier, ultimately this passage is not about demon possession. But this is about Jesus demonstrating his power over sin and darkness and giving us a preview of his kingdom to come. The people who are here hearing this, they already were astounded by the word and they must begin to have some hope. Maybe this is the one. Maybe this is the one. Who can do that? I think when we look at the scriptures, when we see Jesus healing people, redeeming people, when we see people living in one kind of way 
overwhelmed with sin, overwhelmed with brokenness, overwhelmed with despair. And then we see the power of Jesus working in their life. That is miraculous. That is supernatural. He's redeeming them and restoring them. And we can see the lives of redemption all around in this church body. Our stories, our testimonies testify to the power of Jesus over sin and death. His ability to bring his kingdom more and more. We live in the already and the not yet. And so Jesus has already defeated sin and death, and he has not yet brought his kingdom in fullness. But we as his church are outpost of that kingdom. When people enter into Emmanuel Church, they should sense that something is different. They should hear the stories of the Lord working in your life and know that this is a place that something different is going on, something otherworldly is going on. They should ask, not because of the greatness of the teachers that fill this pulpit, but because of the power of the Spirit, what word is this with authority? So next, Luke zooms in on the first recorded healing. And so this is the Sabbath. He, Jesus is in the teaching. He, he preaches a sermon. He basically says, I'm the Messiah. He delivers this man from demon possession. The people marvel. They go back to the home, and it's the Sabbath, so no one can travel. And, and Jesus goes back to Peter's house where he's staying. And his mother-in-law is very sick. He has a high fever. Luke is a physician. We, we know this. And I think this is intentional. This word high, a heavy, a great fever. That was a serious thing back then. I, again, I want us to get in the story. I want us to put our, ourselves there. We can, I, I hear high fever and I think, all right, I'll take some Advil. I'll take some more Advil. I guess I'll go to the hospital. But in this day and age, a high fever was a very serious situation. It could cause brain damage. It could cause physical damage, and sometimes it could cause death. She was unable to do her duties. She was laid up in bed. And what we see is Jesus zooms in here. We see Luke zoom in here on Jesus again, and he prays. He commands the fever to stop. With his word, this woman is healed. Look at me in verse 39, it says, And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately, immediately, immediately she rose and began to serve them. The words of the scriptures are intentional. Luke wants us to, to know, he wants us to be very clear that this was not like some kind of lingering, slow healing. But that Jesus spoke, he rebuked the fever, and instantly... Her body was changed. Instantly she got up. Her cells, her molecules, whatever was plaguing her, it stopped. Because Jesus' word is powerful. Jesus' word heals. Again, I want us to wrestle with probably the heavier question of the two. Do we really believe that Jesus heals? Do we really believe that Jesus heals? And how do we rightly orient ourselves in this text? Because I think we can either not want to wrestle with the messiness of why some people have answers to prayer and some people don't. And so we just only look to the eternal. We say, well, yeah, you know, uh, this is a foreshadow of the kingdom come, like Dustin's saying, and one day Jesus is going to heal. But right now, you know, it's just a broken world and death abounds. 
or we just begin to heap shame upon ourselves because we read the scriptures and it seems like healing is for people, that Jesus does heal people at times. And we just think, well, it must be me. If I just pray this way, if I just do these right things, if I just have a pure enough heart, and brothers and sisters, that is a lie. That is out of step with the scriptures. And I'm slow to say those kind of things, especially a church where I don't know y'all very well. But if you come from a tradition or if someone has taught you that if you just do the right things, if you just believe enough, if you just pray hard enough, if you just are righteous enough, that that person will be healed or that you will be healed, that is not what the scriptures say. But it does seem clear when we read the entirety of the scriptures that God has healing for us at times. James 5 tells us for those who are sick in the church to ask for prayer to go to the elders of church, that the prayer of a righteous man is powerful. There's some way in which faith is important here, where righteousness and purity is important, where fervency of prayer is important. And so my question for us is, are we believing? Are we open to this? And how do we wrestle with this tension? And I, I want to tell you, I've really been wrestling with this tension. We... I attended a funeral of a man who was 28, a member of our church, until he came down with cancer and wasn't able to attend for the past two years and finally took his life. We gathered as elders and we prayed and we prayed and we prayed as a church. Actually, this is the second time I've preached this sermon. I preached this sermon to our church body about three weeks before his passing. And the hope that that family had in the midst of the situation has been something that I will hold with me for a long time. They, they understood the tension of the scriptures. Because what is happening here is, again, that Jesus is demonstrating his power. And he's giving us a preview of the kingdom. And I know that Sawyer is with Jesus now. And that he is whole. And that there are no more tears in his eyes. There's no more sickness in his body. So in this moment, in all these healings we see, first and foremost, Jesus is saying, I am able. I have the power. Through his death and resurrection perfectly, he declares that he has the power. These are eternal realities that are breaking through the here and now. What Jesus is not saying and what Jesus is not promising is that there will not be any more sickness and there will not be any more flexion if we just do what we should. In fact, Jesus is actually doing the opposite. He promises suffering and darkness and difficulty in this world. Jesus went before us through this darkness and this difficulty. He faced death instead of sidestepping it, as he so easily could have. He suffered. He approached the cross, knowing full and aware what he was facing. And he did this so that we could have an eternal hope. So that we could have hope for healing. So how do we live in the midst of suffering and illness? I know that some of you in this room probably are battling health issues. There's sickness. There's a desire for healing. Maybe it's a loved one that's battling that. Maybe you've lost a loved one recently. What, what does the scripture, what do the words of Jesus have to say for us? First, we, we need to know that Jesus weeps and grieves with us. He's not distant, but he is 
close. He draws near to the brokenhearted. That's what the scriptures say. That he gives us hope even in sickness. The hope that the soul and that Sawyer and Amy Mullen had literally on his deathbed was just supernatural. They knew, they felt the presence of Christ in the darkness of that moment. And they knew that there was a better world that's coming. There's a new kingdom that's coming. There was hope in the midst of that that's profound and deep. And we can trust that Jesus is bringing perfect healing to us if not today, in his coming kingdom. And we know, I think it's so powerful, the scripture that we read earlier from Isaiah. It was read over us. I have here, he will wipe away every tear. And the joy of Christ's kingdom is so powerful that it's retroactive. The suffering of this world will grow dim in light of God's glory and grace. And so we are called to live in the tension of the already not yet, to know that Jesus does heal and Jesus still heals. And Jesus heals to continue to declare his power and his ability here and now. And to also just generously give us a foretaste of his kingdom. So we should be quick and fervent to pray for one another. We should be expectant for healing. That's difficult for me at times. We should be expectant for healing. We should petition the Lord regularly for those who are suffering to give them grace and strength in their sickness, but also for healing and deliverance, knowing and believing that Jesus is able. So we need faith for that. Our call is not to determine God's will, but it's to have faith and trust in the goodness of God. So the scene closes, I think, with a powerful picture. Because when I, when I read these two stories, I'm struck by the, the depth and intimacy of them. This man who's been afflicted his, for, probably for a long time with this demon. He's set free. That was a hope that the people did not have, that that man did not have till Jesus entered into the scene. And then this woman who is bedridden with sickness is healed by the words of Jesus. There's hope that's entering in to the scene. We see how that affects the families, and we see how that affects the people around them, and we see how that affects the, the people. And then Luke zooms out. He's really good at telling the story of Jesus. He zooms out. Evening comes on the Sabbath. And so in the Jewish culture, here, when, when, when day, day starts with the sun rising, day started when the sun set. So as the sun sets, people begin to flock to Simon Peter's house. People flock. They're carrying the ill and the sick. They're bringing those who are demon-possessed. And look with me. In verse 40. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases and brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out, many of them saying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because he knew, they knew that he was the Christ. I think it's interesting that all these demons, none of them try to fight Jesus. 
They know they have no chance. The guy at the beginning, the demon in the beginning, just says, what are you here for? Have you come to destroy us? He knows there's no chance, there's no battle, there's no hope. The battle has been won. And we see the powerful mightiness of Jesus Christ in this healing scene of over and over and over and over again. He heals and he delivers and he heals and he delivers. And he's showing his indomitable power over sin and death. And he's giving us this preview of the kingdom to come. So I want to end with two questions. One, are you partaking in the here that is now? That we, we believe that the kingdom of God is breaking in, that it's partly here, that, that Jesus is beginning to do this work. He's ushering in his kingdom. We are able to live in freedom and wholeness and healing and peace. He wants to spiritually heal you and he wants to physically heal you. Are you engaging with that hope? Are you praying and asking the Lord to do that? Are you inviting others into that? Are we praying like the Spirit of God dwells within us? And secondly, are we looking for and longing for the day when that kingdom will come in full? That is our only hope in life and death. Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you don't know him, I know that the pastors and elders here would love to have a conversation with you. You can find them, Buster, the rest of the team that's up here. Grab one of them. Grab me. Have a conversation with them. But more likely you're here and you've just been caught up in the demands of life. You're just going. You're grinding. You're tired and you're weary. You're so busy figuring out how you're going to handle the sickness and darkness all around you that you've lost sight of the glory of the coming kingdom. And maybe you've forgotten the hope of the power of Jesus Christ to heal and redeem all things. As I mentioned earlier, Jesus didn't sidestep his own death. He didn't sidestep his own healing, his own suffering. He didn't heal himself as people mocked him to do. But he faced death, and he defeated sin, so we can live in wholeness and freedom. Are you living in that hope? Are you living in that freedom today? Are you looking forward to the kingdom that is to come? A day when all tears will be wiped away, where all infirmities will end, where all temptation will cease. There will be no more bondage, and there will be no more spiritual attack. The enemy in all of his legion will be locked away. We will see our Lord, our Savior, our brother, and our King face to face. Let me pray and ask the Lord to give you great joy and hope and peace in that eternal reality. Father, we thank you. God, we thank you that when you entered into the scene, you changed the course of history. That you declared that you are able. Father, I pray for any in this room that's struggling with doubt today, that they would know that you are able, Lord. You're able to heal. You're able to save. You're able to redeem. You're able to set free. Father, we thank you for the good news of your redemption, of your kingdom that is coming. 
that through these miracles, through your healings, that you remind us of a day where there will be no, no, no more need for healing because we have been made whole. There'll be no more need for faith because we will see you face to face. And where only love and joy will abound. God, I pray for this church body that you'd assure them up, that you would strengthen them, that you would encourage them. That where they are weary, they would run to you. Where they are tempted, they would run to you. Where they are sick, that they would run to you. Father, I pray that Emmanuel Church will be a church that prays for one another. That expects the work of Jesus to happen in their midst. Lord, I pray that you bless them and keep them in this new season. Lord, they grow and thrive as a church. That the name of Jesus Christ will be lifted up week in and week out from this pulpit. And this church body will go out week in and week out to proclaim the excellencies and the majesty of the name of Jesus Christ. That this body would be one of many in the city of Birmingham. They're an outpost of your coming kingdom. Father, thank you for the hope of Jesus. Thank you for the unity and bond that we have in him. We ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. This has been a sermon from Emmanuel Church. To learn more about Emmanuel or to give, go to Emmanuel with an I, Birmingham.com. You can also follow us on Facebook or Instagram at Emmanuel Birmingham.